podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro. Podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland, I'm Trev Downey. And joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 4, Tottenham Hotspur 3 in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Carl Madgett. What a bizarre afternoon that was, Dave. Um, three up after 15 and we require a late injury time winner. Just mental stuff. That is one of the dumbest games of football I've ever seen in my entire life. We were outrageously good for probably 18 minutes. We were complacent for probably 15 minutes. And we were mind-blowingly stupid for an hour before scoring with a last gasp goal. Um, I genuinely have no idea what we've just witnessed. We, we started the game looking incredible. The movements, the interchanges, the, the pace we were playing at, they just, they had no idea what was going on. They couldn't find our, our runners. They couldn't deal with what we were doing. And we were just taking the ball off them over and over and over and over again. And we got three up and, we kind of sort of pushed for a fourth and then just sort of fell into a pattern and knocking the ball around and maybe inviting them to come out and try and take it off us. And then if someone can explain to me what happened from about 33 minutes on, where we just seemed determined to let them back in the game, I'd love to hear it. Every single time they got the ball, I thought they were going to score for, for the last 10 to 12 minutes of the first half and the first 10 to 12 minutes of the second half. Every time they got the ball, I thought they were going to score. Then Jürgen started making changes. And if not for that Diogo Jota goal, every one of those changes went really poorly. Every one of them. Jota and Henderson came on, they were both awful. Darwin came on, not involved in the slightest. Milner came on, and the only thing that I can remember him doing was giving away a stupid free kick, which led to their equaliser. Our defence was all over the place. Andy Robertson gave yet more evidence that he is not suited to this shape in the slightest today, with one of the more brainless performances you're going to see all season. Look, we won the game, but there's very few real positives that you can take from that because for every good thing that we did we did three or four bad things and Mm. if you look at that game we go three up and then they legitimately could have scored six yeah and then we get a lucky goal because one of their players makes a mistake that's that's your game 
I, I have no idea, genuinely no idea what went on in the players' minds. Hopefully, as we walk through it, we'll see, can we clarify what an idea in our heads about what exactly did happen? Because I'm, I'm equally confused. And Carl, all you can say, man, is that it's absolutely pristine example of this season's Liverpool. It really is. You know what this reminded me of? Um, I'm not very good at playing FIFA. And it's kind of like when I go over to one of my mates' houses and they start playing and I'm crap and they start battering me. And then they start like texting through the game or eating some Doritos and have to clean the dust off their fingers and that kind of thing. And that allows me back in the game. <laughs> and then just before the end, they kind of realise it's 3-3 because I'm sort of, you know, thinking, oh, I'm the big man here. And then they just start playing again and win. Um, that's really the only thing I can equate that last 90 minutes to because it was stupidity personified i mean this has been a stupid season a really yeah. really idiotic bizarre season and this one kind of just summed up the whole lot didn't it i mean we saw a lot of really good things here to take forward and also a lot of things i'd really really like to never see again if you want to encapsulate our season in one split second Diogo Jota scores, and then our manager pulls his hamstring. <laughs> Threatening the at the fourth, def- at the fourth <laughs> official. Like <laughs> he scre- his his first reaction was, "I'm going to go and have a go with this fella over here," and he pulls his hamstring. That's our season in a nutshell. There's so many fucking fantastic moments like that. I mean, you've got everything this afternoon. You've got another Paul Tierney shit show. There's one of the most fucking unbelievably classic uh, Tyler moments ever in the commentary uh, with Neville. There's uh, a plane flying overhead from the FSG outers. And you've got all that drama on the field as well. Lads kicking each other up in the air. uh, Fellas uh, fouling and getting free kicks. Remarkable stuff, and the only way to get through it is to get into it. Just before we do, uh, quickly, Dave, on the Liverpool lineup, um, he we had Ibu back in situ in the defence, and they're therefore nominally our strongest uh, defence, you would imagine. Um, he went with the ongoing Harvey Elliott as a midfielder experiment. Um, I wish he would stop doing that, but he did alongside Fabinho and Jones resting uh, Jordan Henderson and Thiago was unable to be part of the squad, uh, which is, let's not even get in there. And he went with Salah, Gakpo and Diaz, which an awful lot of people were hoping for. And I I certainly wasn't hopeful about Um, that in and of itself was a lovely, lovely thing in those opening minutes. And, Bar wincing when we saw that absolute grok, Oliver Skip, um, nearly breaking, um, Diaz's leg. Um, I think we can say that that reintroduction was mightily successful, at least. Mm. Um, the bench looks, mm, I don't know what you'd say about it. Kelleher, Gomez, Milner, Henderson, Jota, Simicus, Nunes, Carvalho, and Matip. If all of those are at their peak, um, it'd be a very strong bench. They're not, so it's not. What did you make of the way Jurgen decided to go with the Reds lineup today? Well, I was glad that he dropped Henderson for the game because he's been awful and it was, you know, deserving that he'd be dropped. But Harvey is not the ideal player to be bringing in. And look, in, in this on-ball shape, the the three-box three, Harvey does make more sense than he does in the four-three-three because. The role he's been asked to play is a more attacking role. And I thought for probably 25 minutes that 
the shape worked really well because he was dipping out wide, which allowed Mo to come central. Him and Mo were getting in little actions up against Perisic and Davies and causing them trouble. And they were dragging over a third defender, which was creating space elsewhere. But Harvey is such a non-event off the ball. He's he's every bit the liability Henderson is off the ball without the physicality that Henderson can at least provide. Mm. So, like, I look, we would have all preferred to have seen Thiago in that role. But I, I was glad to see Harvey at least get a chance because you don't know what something's going to be like until you really try it. You can you can guess, and we all could have guessed that it would have worked out something similar to today. When it was going well for the rest of the team, Harvey looked like he fit in quite well. And when things went against us, Harvey became a bit of an a bit of an issue. Um, like you said, the bench doesn't really fill you with. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. With hope, I mean, Darwin is miles out of form. Uh, Jota, I know, had scored the four goals recently, but he hasn't been playing all that well in his general play. And there was nobody else that you'd look at there and think, oh, they can come on and change a game for us. Like, Carvalho has barely kicked a ball in five months. Milner and Henderson are what they are. And the other two are, are the other three are defenders. And Costas is very ill-fitting for this new shape. But to be honest, I think the big mistake Jurgen made in that game today was wasting his last substitution on Milner for for uh, for Curtis when Gomez for Robertson was the change to make. Bring on a more defensive-minded player who'll hold the shape in the back three a lot better. And while Joe is naturally right-footed, he's got the pace to play full-back. And when he first came to Liverpool, it was left-back that he broke into the team as. I know he hasn't played there in a long time, but you're trying to see out a game. Get your better defensive players on, not a fella who can't run and is going to give away free kicks. Because regardless of what people might say about Milner seeing out games with his nose or anything like that, if he gets involved in a situation where someone runs at him or he has to try and run after somebody, he's going to give away a free kick because the guy can barely move these days. So. I just, I was happy enough with the starting 11. It was what he did after that that really, really sort of worried me. Yeah, Jimbo coming on to see out a game when we're having to be defensive is an absolute ridiculous notion. And um, because all he does is kick lads up in the air. That's what he does. And, 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 and get caught in possession and fall over and stuff like that. But where, where we're actually on the front foot and we're trying to see a game out while we have possession of the ball and that kind of thing. Occasionally. Then he's fine. 
He's fine yeah, in that situation. He, and, and, he'll make smart decisions with the ball because he's not it, having to run and overextend. Exactly. That's where the nous comes in. But when we are back to the wall like we were there, it just doesn't make any sense at all to me. And, and, and signs on it, that, that concession of that, of the free kick is his only real contribution of note. And it leads to what should have been or what could have been a, a really sickening moment for us, um, um, to be looking back on now as it is. I'm almost glad he did it because it set Richarlison up to be the hero. And then we got to see what he looked like when he realized it meant nothing. So I did really revel in that moment, um, in a, in a very bitter voyeuristic way. And Carl, to look at the, uh, Newcastle, um, or Newcastle, to look at the, uh, Spurs lineup. Um, I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not really sure what's happening with them at the moment because of, you know, the managerial situation. And, um, obviously, you know, Mason's a, a, a fella who's, you know, got a bit of Spurs heritage, but I don't think anyone believes that's going to be a long lasting thing. So we have a situation where he's putting a team there. Forster, he Porro, Romero, Dyer and Davies, uh, Perisic, Hoiberg, Skip, Kulisevsky, uh, Kane and Son. Uh, and they really were absolutely demolished by us in that, in those opening minutes. But then every time from around the sort of 25, 20 minute mark, every time they, uh, tried to carry a threat to us, they succeeded. Um, um, and they looked actually very good, um, closing down our attempts, uh, seizing on our mistakes. Um, playing decent football uh, seemed to be capable of opening opening us up at will. It was way too easy on in terms of um, at the concession of goals on our part. They actually looked quite useful and looked like a team who probably should be sitting where they were before we uh, took them out of it today. I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, fourth, fifth, somewhere around there. The problems that they have are basically the the mentality and the culture around the team and the club and the, the way that they've been playing all season long. I think Spurs have been awful. I've said it a number of times. And the first 15 minutes that we see here is a, an exaggeration of that, same as it was against Newcastle. It's like that bad, but to the nth degree. But also, like you say, we saw periods of the game where the technical individual brilliance that they do have and the goal-scoring ability that they do have in the side, it's there. And you put a, a proper coach in place to harness that and be maybe a bit more attack-minded or maybe a bit more pragmatic in your build-up play at times rather than just looking to, to, to go everything through Kane all the time. There's no reason why they shouldn't be top four challengers. There's a bit to work on, obviously. And we can see today, again, the real, real problems that we've had is in defence. They were awful defensively today, not just like the individual challengers, but the, the spaces between them, the positional play that they had, the three that they have at the back have been sort of chopped and changed quite a bit this season anyway. But these three playing today were probably the ones that have played the most minutes or the most times together. Um, so they're a very, very, very odd club. You know, we know that and they're having a, an equally dismal season to us in, in different ways. Um, I, I have no sympathy for Spurs. They've, they've done this to themselves for 10 years, basically with managerial appointments and terrible transfer decisions and all the rest of it. But they are always going to be a, a threat around the top six sort of area because, like we say, they've yeah. got such really, really good individual quality players. Like Son and Min, uh, absolutely abysmal season and suddenly decides to find a bit of form in the game and a half before Liverpool and then comes into this match. One goal, one assist and what, hit the post twice, I think? Twice, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, 
there's not much you can do to to stop that kind of a player when they are on their game. But we should never, ever, ever have let him or them get into the game. At that point, no. they should have been like beyond demoralised after three nil. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. They basically shouldn't have had a touch in a half, let alone eight chances to score. But you they've given up as well, though. Like, if you, if, you, if you look at that time where we're just kind of knocking the ball around and been really complacent about things, they're, they're not even pressing us as a unit or anything. They're not actually trying to close us down. They're jogging up to Virgil, who knocks it sideways to Kanate, to and then someone else jogs up, almost like a token gesture. And then it's back to Virgil, whose man is now backed off, and across to Robbo. And they're just sort of ambling across. They don't look like they've got any confidence or anything. And then we just give them an opportunity to come back into the game. Yeah, we absolutely. It's the most self-inflicted of 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 uncomfortable afternoons. And Carl, just to finish on Spurs, because you mentioned their transfer strategy. Um, and I'm looking at their bench there, and I just want to get a take from you on that in terms of what, what, who you think is decent there and whether or not you think they actually have, with the right manager, absolutely got enough there to be uh, making a, a decent challenge for similar kind of position next year. Because on their bench today, we saw Dan Juma came on, Austin, Sanchez, Tanganga, Langley, Saar, Devine, Lucas, and Richarlison. In terms of a Premier League, Champions League challenging squad. Do you reckon that has enough depth there? Uh, do you mean like to win it, to actually challenge for the title? To, to, no, to challenge to challenge for top four next year with the right manager. Okay. Um, um, yes, in certain areas. I mean, I think I think they need some, you know, very very important pieces. Centre back being the primary one there. Uh, you know, the middle player to play instead of Eric Dyer. Definitely someone else for the left if they want to be really, really good. And they are built, this squad is built to play wing-backs as well. It's not just Antonio Conte, obviously, who's playing that way, but Nuno was there beforehand. It it is a squad which is filled with wing-backs rather than anybody who can play full-back whatsoever. So there is that to bear in mind in terms of who they bring in and what recruitment work will be needed in the summer. Um, But yes, in general, I think that the, the players that they have in the wide areas and in the forward areas are good enough. I think they need another really, really good central midfielder. They need a first choice, properly top level goalkeeper because Lloris isn't that anymore and probably is going to be replaced this summer anyway. And then defence. So there's not huge amounts that they need to do. I think the depth is okay. 
you know, even when you consider there's people that they've signed, like um, Jed Spence has not really had a look in yet. Destiny odoji has got to come back from Rudinese in the summer, but he's already there. Eves Basuma has barely been used this season and now he's out injured. So I think if those players come back in as well, they're not transfers that they need to make, but they can make much better use of the quality that they do have. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, gentlemen, a word uh, before we begin for Mr. Paul Tierney, the the, the man baby who was mincing about in the centre of the pitch today, making horrific call after horrific call. And it would be funny to look at this child uh, doing his thing if it wasn't for the fact that it very nearly had horrendous consequences on a couple of occasions for us. And it actually did have very specific consequences in terms of allowing Spurs uh, to get the foothold that they got. Um, I, 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 I think in a competition which is very, very fraught and um, very tense and very close, I think, Dave, to be fair to the man, he does come out little baldy head and shoulders ahead of everybody else in terms of the worst official in the Premier League. Uh, I, I just think he's awful. I, I've never understood how it is that he's been a Premier League referee at any point, and certainly not for this long. But, I mean, there's there's two incidents today among plenty that we could get into, but there's two that stand out to me. The first is obviously that horrendous tackle by Oliver Skip on Luis Diaz. Now, the argument will be, well, he got the ball first before he catches Diaz halfway up his shin. And I found myself thinking back to a game at Anfield, and you'll both remember this. Liverpool, Aston Villa, and a ball breaks between Steven Gerrard and George Boateng. And Gerrard gets the ball first, but goes over the top of it and catches Boateng probably a little bit higher than, than Diaz was caught today, in fairness. But it was an immediate red card. And that mm. was back at a time when the game was a much more physical game. Before the rules were skewed so badly to take any and all physicality out of the game, to allow attackers these enormous advantages that they now enjoy that they didn't have back in the 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s. That was back then and that was a straight red card. In in an era where you could get away with a lot more. How that today isn't a red card, I have no idea. And Ryan Mason has come out after the game and said that, he said two things that are very amusing to me. He said that Jota should have been sent off for catching Ollie Skip in the face. That is an honest attempt to play the ball. It's what that is. That is con a controlled effort to play the ball and Oli Skip has basically headed Jota's foot. But Oli Skip shouldn't have been on the pitch when that took place. He should have been sent off. And the second one that, that stood out to me today, and again, it, it's just something that we see all the time, especially with this player that's involved. There's a long ball played and Mo is chasing it. And Ben Davies is pulling and dragging out of him endlessly as the two of them run for this ball. And Mo kind of hands him off. And Davies falls on the floor at the slightest bit of contact. And it's an immediate free to Spurs. And that free kick leads to the phase 
that ends with James Milner fouling Harry Kane, which leads to the free kick from which they score. And that's where that goal comes from, because that should have been a free kick to us on the edge of their box. If we get that free kick, they don't score their third goal. There was another incident that you've both seen as well, where Mo runs past Perisic. Perisic grabs his wrist to pull him back. And if not for the linesman finally realising that he's not just there to call off sides and decide who gets a corner or not, that wouldn't have been given as a free kick to Mo. The referee didn't even see it, or if he did see it, deemed it not worthy of a foul. Like, he, he doesn't get the big decisions right. He doesn't get the little decisions right. And I just, I've no idea how it is that this man is continually employed to be a referee in, in what people want to sell as the best league in the world. If your referees are of this standard, and it's not just England, let's be clear. Referees across Europe are largely shit. We saw a bunch of them in the Champions League this season. But the Premier League stylizes itself and sells itself as the best league in the world. You cannot be the best at what you do if one of the 23 people on the pitch is that poor every single week. And it's every week with him. It is. And actually, it's ironic Mo Salah is the exception to your observation about forwards getting advantages. Yeah. He does He does seem to be, and I know it's easy for people to say that this is us being biased, but I mean, honestly, if you're watching the games, he's just wrestled endlessly. And this, because he's so freaking strong, um, he can take the abuse and then any little pushback or any little reaction at all, and it's a free kick against him. It's a remarkable thing to watch. Um we have a, a, an absolute joyous opening 15 minutes. There are three goals. Let me walk through those three goals in the opening 14 minutes and get a reaction from both of you on it. That seems to be the fair thing to do. I'll start with you, Carl, just to respond to those three goals. Talk to me about anything in particular you want to talk about. But first of all, to describe them for people who haven't seen the game, we're one up after two minutes. It's a fantastic um, flowing bit of football, which ends with a perfect cross from Trent. And Curtis is coming in at the back post and volleys it low and into the back of the net. It's a fantastic goal, beautiful move, beautiful execution. I thought Cody Gakpo was great in the build-up play. Five minutes in and we're 2-0 up. This time it's Luis Diaz, another beautiful move, which ended up with Trent playing in Cody Gakpo, who gets to the byline just in time to hook it back. And that pullback of his is met in the most athletic and skillful fashion by Luis Diaz, who volleys home brilliantly. Um, in the middle of those two goals, there is another nice little move, a nice little through ball by Harvey to Cody Gakpo, but his shot was blocked. And then the penalty is conceded. And it's a wild, wild challenge by Romero, who could have done massive damage again. He's really out of control. Kicks Cody Gakpo up in the air. Mo puts the ball on the spot and sort of lifts it. Um, and curls it into the roof of the net central. So we're unstoppable at that stage. It's one of those things where you think this could be anything. We could do anything here. We had the tempo right. We had the attitude right. The execution of the, of all the passes was fantastic. And the finishing more to the point was there. Um, just one of the best little purple patches that we've seen. Um, never mind this season, but in, in, in for many seasons now. 
it was reminiscent of uh, the really crazy part of Klopp's time, um, you know, when we were not very good with defending, but we could attack everybody and we would really go at it, like the Roma games and the Man City games and that kind of thing. And also like, you know, part of the Brendan Rodgers era where we would just go hell for leather and try and score six goals because that's about how many we needed to win any given game. It was really, really good to watch. Like I said, the Spurs defense was all over the place, but I really loved our movement, the speed of play. Um, there's a couple of players I'd, I'd like to just talk about for that period of the game, but um, the team combinations are so, so much better now uh, than even like a month and a half ago. We were like dismal in our build-up play before. Um, going back two months, we were slow and didn't really have any idea where to pass to nobody was making a run off the ball and now it's at the minute the last few games has been kind of the opposite of that everybody's making the runs everybody's one touch football Trent in particular I think you know whatever about his defensive work on the ball he was shocking considering how good a player he is he was shocking for us for quite a while at the minute he's like one of the most confident players in the league he is pinging the ball everywhere around the place and Cody Gakpo as well I thought his movement today was just First half in particular off the charts. That's so, so good. Um, he was obviously very, very important to two of the goals. Diaz, just really, really good to see him back, let's be honest. Just seeing his name on there, just seeing him get annoyed at not getting that foul uh, that Dave talked about and then just sprinting around and won the ball back. It's just such a nutshell of what we've been missing, not just in attack, but in the team this season. Just that determination and ferocity and refusal to not have things go your way. That used to be everybody in the team. Team and he's kind of emblematic of what we've been missing for a large part of this season and what we need to look for for next season. Um, so just that whole period, I liked. Obviously, the goals were, were you know exceptional to watch flying in, but it was much more for me the the movement, the determination, the ferocity, the non-stop, the relentless nature of it. It was just it looked for a little while like we were going to have a whole half of that, and we probably would have scored five in that time if we had it done. And yeah. Easy to say, but we should have, basically. We shouldn't have taken our foot off the pedal. Exactly that. Exactly that. And Dave, I know uh, joy and, and, and uh, up-tempo stuff is not necessarily your brand, but I do want to let you react to that opening period because it's going to be all the frustrating stuff after that for a while. Uh, anything you want to add to what Carl said there about that opening 15? No, no. Like, like I said earlier, I, I thought we were phenomenal for that period of the game. Like, <clears throat> the shape made a whole bunch of sense in that period of the game. We were able to just pin them back and continue to batter them, and we opened them up multiple times. We get the two goals in, in five minutes, and <clears throat> you start to think, well, Newcastle put five past them in the first 21 minutes last week. I wonder what we can do this week. Then we get the third, and and you're thinking, well, that's it. That's game over. Like This is just about managing the game now, and you know maybe add a fourth if they decide to give it a go. But you know that this is this is put the game to bed kind of time already, and and then I, I don't know what we did. I don't know what we did after that. Well, what we did after that, and we might as well talk about this chunk of the game now ourselves, um, uh, Dave. The immediately after the, the the goal, there was another great move. Um, it ended with a, a Cody Gakpo effort which led to a corner from which nothing accrued. Another one in 21 minutes, lovely bit of flowing football. Mo curled a uh, shot wide from the edge of the box. Uh, then he had a, a lovely moment where he lost the ball in attack on 23 minutes and then uh, nipped back and robbed it off, I think, Harry Kane, um, much to um, the ground's delight. 
And that's when things start to slightly turn a little bit. Kane has an opportunity for them on 28 minutes. He's played in, but he couldn't finish or find Son, and he was offside. But it was a little bit of a, ooh, that was a bit easy uh, mm. in terms of them opening us up. Um Harvey Elliott headed a Robbo cross wide in 31 minutes, and then we have that skip incident that we've discussed already on Diaz. I don't know about you, but at that stage, I'm just holding my head in my hands. Please, not that for Luis. That we just cut. That would have been just too cruel. Um, and this is where it really all starts to hit the skids because in 38 minutes, we need a fantastic goal line clearance from Virgil uh, to clear a Son effort. It's really good. Then they go and score on 39 minutes. Literally a minute later, it is Kane. Perisic played in down the left. He cuts in. Virgil basically falls over because the, the the speed of the turn, he slips um, and he's he's on the deck and Perisic is free to pick his cross, which he can do because uh, Kane is in acres and he volleys home under Ali from close range. This, sorry, go ahead, yeah. So I was going to say this is just... <clears throat> This is some of the most abysmal defending you'll see from Andy Robertson. This is atrocious. I mean, he he doesn't just run by Kane. He sprints past Harry Kane to mark nobody, to just stand in space and leaves Kane with five yards behind him. He has to run all the way across. He He knows Harry Kane is there. He knows there's no one else to mark Harry Kane, but he decides to just abandon him. And this is why Andy Robertson is not suited to this shape. This is why Andy Robertson, for as good a fullback as he's been, is not a good centre-back and is not a good option as a centre-back in a back three because everything Andy Robertson does is frenetic. Everything he does is 100 miles an hour. Centre-back play is about being measured. It's about awareness, reading the game. It's about making calculated decisions. Andy Robertson is a high-risk, high-reward defender. And at centre-back, you want a low-risk, low-reward centre-back. Think of the great centre-backs we've seen in the Premier League. Paul McGrath, Tony Adams, Gary Pallister, Ricardo Carvalho, Yap Stam, Virgil. Players of that nature are measured in everything they do. You can almost see the, their brains working before they do everything. Whereas with Andy Robertson, it's see ball, go to ball, and react after that. You need centre-backs that know what's going to happen two and three steps ahead. That's why Virgil is the best centre-back the league has seen, because he's almost like a computer. Now, he slips on that Perisic, um turn and perhaps before the injury that doesn't happen who knows but I've seen some people try and blame Virgil yeah he slips it it happens but what happens after that from Robertson is is absolutely shambolic I mean what are you doing in that space and that's that's one of many mistakes he made today I was going to say he's not done yet because literally one minute later Allison makes a great save with his leg after uh, Kulisevsky got in because Robertson was caught in possession. Um, and again, if the goal was supposed to be a kind of a rocket to remind them, oh, I better you know, get my act together. It, it was, it just looked so bad. Um, and 
Son hits the post in 43. I think he was offside anyway, mm. but again, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the Sky commentary team, uh, uh, and the, the pundits at halftime were all talking about it as if he wasn't offside. And you know what? It, it didn't really matter because it was yet another slap in our chops, to be fair. Um, there was a handball shout off a corner right at the death. There was two minutes added on and the corner was, was, was taken after those two minutes and then um, it had gone out for another one. But instead of not even getting that second corner, um, he blows it up. And I don't, uh, Sky tried to gaslight us that they checked it within 10 seconds. I think that's just absolute shite. I don't that's, think they checked it at all. That was what was said. I watched the commentary. I watched the game because I, I can't, I can't watch Martin Tyler anymore. I just can't deal with him. So I watched it on, on the American feed and it was exactly the same thing. He said, there is a check. Because Virgil immediately appealed for it. Yeah. He said, there's a check on a potential handball. And the referee blew the whistle. And then he said, oh, the check is complete. Now, they showed no replay. No. On the broadcast to show whether or not it was a handball. Which, for me, is always a curious thing. If they don't show, why have they not showed a replay? Like, how has that not been brought up? Even as a throwaway segment in the halftime coverage. Oh, Liverpool thought they had a case or a penalty. Here's the replay. No, didn't see it at halftime. It's, it's really... It's... Shambles. No, no. It's really interesting, and it does make me uh, pop on one of my many tinfoil hats when I see it, because it's just... It's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. Um, Carl, I want to go into the second half with you, but I don't want to leave you without an opportunity to comment on that um, horrendous spell um, from pretty much after the injury on um, Diaz to the end of the half where we were entirely outplayed. And I see Ryan Mason um, reckons that Spurs were the better team, and I quote, by a country mile. Um, and they did have spells in the match like that one where they were clearly um, the better side. Is there anything you want to mention about the, that that sloppy end to the first half, those those 10 to 15 minutes? In fairness, since we're about to talk about the exact same shit happening again for about half an hour, <laughs> we can probably go straight into it. Let's do that then. Uh, second half, we do have the first sort of moment of note in 49 minutes. Um, another great piece of football. Uh, there's a Robbo ball to the back stick and it goes out for a corner. Um, from which nothing occurs. Um, there's a yellow in 51 minutes where Son is holding Cody Gakpo back as we broke. Uh, 53 minutes, uh, Son hit the post. This time he wasn't offside. It's a really good effort. Low and past Ali, who I think was beaten, and it hits the base of the post from distance. That's 53 minutes. And 53 minutes, Romero hits the post after a cane cross. He's probably offside, but again, nobody bothers mentioning whether he is or not. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter because it's again, we're rattled and we look rattled. And if that that wasn't bad enough, 56 minutes, and it's Porro who's shooting from distance uh, with a very vicious hit, which is kind of central. And Ali has to tip it over the bar for a corner. Um, At that point, and Dave alluded to this earlier on about the substitutions and their effectiveness, on 62 minutes, Klopp brings on Jota and Henderson for Harvey Elliott and Diaz. And you can absolutely see, perhaps, why he might have thought that was a good idea at that point. Um, 
whether or not it ended up being a good idea, we'll let you comment on. And they bring on 65 minutes, Sarfer Kulisevsky. Uh, Ibu picks up a yellow card on 69 for holding Son as they broke. And Virgil has a long-range shot in 72 minutes. And I'm going to finish it up here at 72 minutes where Darwin um, comes on for Cody Gakpo. Now, that is whatever it is, you know, it's 20 five minutes into the half um, and there is a lot happening and it's mostly in favour of Spurs anything you want to talk about there in that chunk of the game um, the openness really I mean Dave touched on it earlier but sort of the, the Harvey Elliott being in that role I mean Henderson's not done well in that role but we spoke about it on, on Scouted like the difference between Henderson and for example Thiago being on that right hand side was that Thiago wouldn't really be the one to chase back to the right-back zone in transition play. He would you know, be more more usually has been dipping into the central areas alongside Fabinho, or Fabinho has then gone across to that side. Um, Elliot didn't really do it either, whereas Henderson does. He runs back into that area. doesn't necessarily do very well when he's there, and a couple of times he's been outright poor and con- uh, cost big chances and goals when he's in that zone. But it means in turn that somebody else has to do it, and I don't think Liverpool got to grips with that at all today. Like nobody was consistently doing it or consistently doing it well. Kanate a couple of times in the first half did, but then Van Dijk was having to go all the way across that side when Kanate had stepped up because he was chasing Kane really deep uh, at times. So he was then not really at centre-back at all, to be perfectly honest. Trent obviously was, was there at times, but there didn't really appear to be any single midfielder who had dominion, let's say, over that responsibility. And I think that that's something Liverpool really have to sort out. Whoever it is, whether it's a new sign or whether it's another sort of tactical tweak at times, depending on the the phase of play. But today, I think it was a really good example of how that's not working for us right at this moment. I think Trent has added quite a bit of bite in midfield. Like he's, he makes quite a few tackles when he's in that central zone and he wins the ball back really quickly and you know passes it off and we start building up again. I think he's done well there. But there's still a knock-on effect of that gap is there. And I think until we fix who has to do that more regularly, more consistently, we're going to still concede quite a lot of these chances. And Spurs are a team who attack down the flanks, basically, with the wing back really, really high, with the wide forwards making the diagonal runs when Kane drops deep. So that really was costly today over and over and over again. And not just on the goals, but like you say, the the ones which were just offside, the ones which were one-on-ones with Allison, they hit the post. That's a that's a bit of a worry, and I think that that was something we could have fixed in game with a bit more practicality. Let's say at three one, there was no reason for us to keep chasing extra um, positions really high upfield or leaving big spaces. I think that's something that Klopp, as well as the team, needs to manage quite a bit better. Yeah, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that happens, how that occurs, and I'm still very much curious as to whether I'm into this experiment or not, whether you'd be just more comfortable if you just go and try him as a midfielder and have a little bit more of a traditional approach to defending, especially when we're in this sort of skittish phase of um, of, of our, our, our evolution under Klopp, um, if indeed that's what it's going to be. Um, Dave... They stop mucking about and get back into it properly in 76 minutes. It is Sun. 
it's pretty straightforward through ball. He's in an alley and he finishes well. It goes to VAR for a check and it's given. Um, I, I don't even remember seeing a replay um, to see whether he, whether he looked out. There was one. No, he was, he was onside. Andy Robertson played him onside. It's it's one of those things that we highlighted with Robbo a few years ago. How yeah. he just has no concept of how to hold a defensive line. And he's two yards deeper than everybody else. Um, which has just been a consistent issue with Robbo o- over the years. Uh, it's poor from Ibu. He, he doesn't seem to have full awareness of where, um, where Sun is, but he holds the line with Virgil. If Robbo's two yards up where he should be, it's not a problem, but it's just, it's a bad goal to concede. And I mean, we, we brought on the captain to, you know, ease things down to, to manage the game and things became ridiculous after that he's pressing their right back our shape is all over the place and our defense just doesn't know what it's meant to be doing and like i don't like this shape i'll be honest i can see merits in the idea the concept of moving trent into midfield in game so rather than starting there he's stepping in there but if you're going to do that You've got to have three defenders who are going to be defenders and not Andy Robertson playing as a left winger and sprinting back and not being able to hold a defensive line. Like Again, too frenetic, not able to make the right judgment, not able to have the awareness of where everybody else is. This is why in the summer, as well as the three midfielders we need to buy, it's a priority if this experiment is going to continue that we bring in a left-footed centre-back who can defend as a left-back out of possession. It has to happen. Either that or you bring in a traditional right-back and you just move Trent into midfield, if that's where you want him playing. Because this thing of Trent goes into midfield and Robertson's way up on the left wing and it's just Virgil and Ibu having to defend half the pitch each, I'm sorry, that's just not going to work. A good team will absolutely annihilate you. If we played City and did this shit, we'd lose 6 or 7-1. That's kind of where I'm going with it. I, I, I don't know, as they used to say back in the olden days, if the game is worth the candle here with this thing. Um, I understand persisting with it, and it looks as if we're going to probably be safe enough to get that Europa spot, unless there's a terrible falling off altogether between now and the end of the season. Um, just looking at the table there, it should be something that's attainable, the fourth place thing is and always was a pipe dream. It's a bit of a crack pipe dream at this stage, to mm. be perfectly honest with you. And uh, I got um, roundly scolded for suggesting as much during the uh, week on, on, on the Twitters there from um, Hope Merchants uh, telling me uh, to be a proper supporter. There, United you know? have one hard game left. It's their next game against Brighton. It's also their game in hand. They're yeah. seven points clear with a game in hand with one tough game left. So, like... People need to just kind of start waking up and looking at the table and realizing we have five games left. We will get, if we win them all, 15 points. United would then only need, what, nine points from their last six games available. And they play utter dreck. Like they play Brighton next. That'll be tough. Then they play West Ham, who are awful. Wolves, who are awful. Bournemouth, who are safe now and will probably be on the beach. Chelsea, who are garbage and managed by Frank Lampard, and Fulham, who are 
on the beach as well. Their season's done. They're safe. United are going to get nine points from those six games. They just are. And they're going yeah. to get top four because, and, and it's entirely our own fault. Entirely our own fault. But just last thing on this shape that, you know what? Do you know what it is, Trev? We spent years in the wilderness under Hodgson, under Kenny, under Rogers, not having a real identity as a football team. And the, the first thing Jurgen really did when he arrived is he gave us back an identity. A style of playing, a way, a way of being Liverpool. And this shape, this style is completely against Jurgen's way of playing. Like a Jurgen Klopp team, you can close your eyes and you can think of a Jurgen Klopp team. It's going to be set up in either a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 as it was at Dortmund and Mines. It's going to be a front-footed, aggressive, high-pressing team with lots and lots of energy, who's going to create chaos in the final third through movement. And when the opposition have the ball, they're going to hunt them down, take the ball off them and bully them. And that's how we became great. We weren't a great footballing side when we won the European Cup and we won the league. We were a great team, but we didn't play, you know, like this Pep Guardiola silky football. We put together some incredible counter-attacking moves and we were capable of putting together glorious moves that would, you know, go from one side of the field to the other. There'd be involvement from the front three. It could come back to Fabinho, out to Trent or Robbo, and then you get a cross and a goal. The the goal against City that everybody looks back on is, you know, probably the most aesthetically pleasing team goal we've scored. But we were bullies. We won those competitions based on being bullies, being the best defensive team around, being physical, being aggressive, and by being ruthless and going out and just going directly for the jugular. We were the closest thing to Ferguson's United from that point of view. That's how they won things. Wenger's team played the pretty football. Ferguson's team were bullies. And they would just overwhelm teams. And that's what we did. We used to overwhelm teams. And it feels like we're just drifting away from that further and further and further. And I love him, but it kind of started with the arrival of Thiago. And now it's this shape in midfield. And it, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is what Jurgen Klopp's team should look like in 2023. And you know, you know the name that people with veins twitching in their forehead are screaming at, at the no, at their devices. The, the fact of the matter is, this is this is the type of football and the shape that he used when he went and had his stint as a manager in the Netherlands back in the 2017-18 season. Yeah, this is his blueprint, and people can stamp their feet and cry all about it all the while. This is his blueprint, and if it works, great. But it, it does concern me just a little bit that a guy who is one of the best managers the game has seen over the last 15 years, a guy who had a very specific way of playing, seems to be ceding tactical control of his team and in some ways control of recruitment for his team to somebody else who's not qualified 
to be making those type of decisions for a club of our size and scale who have the ambitions that we have. Now, maybe this is just a, right, season's lost. Let's try some new things. Let's see what these things look like. And if that's what's happening, that's fair enough. That's fine. But when you see some of the names being linked for the summer, they do point towards this system staying in place and not a return to, you know, what it was that we used to do. And that's yeah. just something that does concern me because Jürgen's got three years left on his deal. And I don't think he sees how three years, if this is what's going to be the way forward, because I, I don't think this can win at, at the highest level. I think good teams cut this team open. Yeah, just feels a little bit like experimentation for the sake of it. But anyway, we will see how that develops. Um, it's clearly going to be in situ for the rest of the year. And Carl, we go from a low point there where Sun gets them back into it to wondering, can we possibly, you know, um, exert some uh, authority and uh, assert ourselves a bit and maintain possession and kill the game? Well, 78 minutes, there's a dangerous Poro cross to Heidberg, who was looking for a penalty for a supposed push by Trent. There's a yellow for that high foot on Skip um, from Jota on 80 minutes. And at that point, they bring on Richarlison. And I think we're all quietly hoping uh, that that will not come back as a feature later on in the match. Um, he wanted a penalty for a challenge uh, by Ibu on 84 minutes after just coming onto the field. And on 85, we bring on the Milner substitute. It's the, 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 the great Jurgen Klopp, um, move, the, the, the Jim Milner, uh, experience coming on to see out the game. Um, he goes on and Curtis goes off. Uh, 89 minutes, they bring on Lucas Mora and Dan Juma for Perisic and Porro. And it turns out that those substitutions are going to have a far more profound effect for us. Um, and that the Spurs substitutions have a far more impactful um uh, uh, result um than 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 Klopp's ones do for good and bad for us. Um there are six minutes added, uh Carl, and as the injury time starts to tick down um in the first minute of it, um we mentioned that incident earlier on where White is pulling and dragging at Mo Salah who at one point lifts the hand and catches him in the mouth and it's a free kick um ridiculous situation but you know Paul Tierney uh, there's yellow on 91 minutes where Jim Milner goes in late uh and gives away a free kick and from that free kick the darkest of dark moments arises when Richarlison gets free at the back he basically runs around the back of our defense Nobody goes with him. Um, the closest to him challenging at the end is Darwin, but he gets just enough on it, heads the ball into the deck, and it bounces up and over Ali and into the back of the net on 92 minutes. Talk to me about that last period of the game just before we have our, 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 our wonder winner, because it looked as if, if any, everything that could go wrong was starting to go wrong. It was instead of any sort of authority being exerted, it was the exact opposite. It really was carnage. It was. And that's, you know, that's, like I said, the most concerning thing is that we just had no measure of composure on the ball, no ability to control the game. I mean, 
I think all the subs made Liverpool worse. I know Jota came off the bench and scored, but I think in, in play terms, every single sub that we made today made us worse. That as soon as Diaz went off the pitch, tell me how many challenges you saw going in in, in the attacking half. Like Curtis Jones, maybe another one or two before he went off as well. That was probably about it. There was very, very few. Gakpo was off, obviously, soon enough afterwards. Second half, he didn't really have as much impact. Uh, Henderson came on, started giving the ball away straight away. There were sort of half-attempted tackles, which didn't really do anything at all. I just thought that that entire period showed not just the system, but the personnel as well, that still needs to be big alterations made. Because apart from the fact that you sub to make your team better, it should also be with the idea in that situation that we were in, obviously, to have much more control, to slow down the game if you need to, to be much more practical about uh, where and when you have the ball and how you use the ball. But we just didn't seem to have any idea of what to do. Right? There was no real attacking play there, but we didn't do anything with the ball either in terms of keeping it safe. And it was it was quite immature to watch uh, the team. And I guess to an extent you can expect that given we were still sort of having a few players in different roles and all the rest of it. But the players themselves are not new. The players themselves in the team and the expectations of winning a game and how to do that, none of that is new. So that was a real concern for me. The, the actual equaliser you could see coming a mile off. Why Virgil van Dijk, probably the best header of the ball in our squad, is that far down the back post. Like If the ball goes near post or in the middle of the box, he's not getting there. He's right at the back. So I don't really understand why he's there in that kind of a line. Um, but you know, either way, there was a big, big gap behind the sort of the, the middle bunch, and you could see the, the run go diagonally straight into that. Darwin's probably got to track him a little bit better, but I don't know if Richardson had run off somebody else as well. It was a bit difficult to see on the replay. So, not going to blame him alone for that, but just the defensive work as a whole today for direct balls over the top, passes from deep with one runner in behind. This was just another variation of that, and we didn't deal with it at all. Yeah, pretty much any. Any uh, genre of attacking play caused us hassle today, which is uh, an an echo of a a much grimmer time in Liverpool history. Uh, Dave, just before we uh, enjoy ourselves talking about the winning goal, is there anything you want to mention about the concession of that 3-3 and the time leading up to it as well? Um, Darwin has been at the club since last summer, which means that the coaching staff have had plenty of time to witness how Darwin defends set pieces. And the um, the fact of the matter is he, he is very, very poor at defending set pieces because he's quite slow to react on them. And I, I'd love to know whose idea it was that he be the the back, like the back post defender in that situation. Because Richarlison starts his run from a bit deeper than Darwin and is past him before Darwin reacts. Now, I don't blame the player because he shouldn't be put in that position. Like, like Karth, I don't know why Virgil is where he is. I don't know why Darwin is where he is. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. 
As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Darwin is not good at defending set pieces in our box. And he hasn't been since the day he arrived. He wasn't at Benfica. He wasn't at Almeria. And at Benfica, they actually stopped using him to defend set pieces at, at certain points. And they just leave him up on the halfway line as an outball. So uh, these are things that need to be addressed. These are things that, that the coaching staff are going to have to look at. Like, we used to be unbelievable at defending set pieces. And now every time a team gets set piece, we just look so shaky. And it really isn't good enough. Like, these are fundamental basics that don't seem to be getting worked on. But these are the things we used to used to excel at. These are things that were the trademark of what we were. You weren't scoring a set piece on us. We were going to score a ton on you, and we still do. But we leaked them at the other end now as well. Like, the weekend was a shambles. Uh, last weekend, rather, against Forrest was a shambles for set pieces. So. I, I, these are just basic things that need to be worked on. It, it's, I've been saying it for months. This is a much bigger rebuild than people realize. Yeah. There's an awful lot of work that has to go in and it's not just on the pitch. It's off the pitch as well. There needs to be some straightening out of what the message is and who's delivering the message. And if the players have tuned out the old message, don't change the message. Change the messenger. That's why Ferguson has 13 league titles. That's why he had that longevity. He changed the messenger when the message stopped being heard. He never changed the message. What he told the players was the exact same from the day he walked in until the day he left. And United always had an identity under him. It wasn't always pretty. Sometimes it was very, very ugly. But it never changed. Ours is changing now and not changing for the, wor- for, for, for the better. It's changing for the worse. So, you know, I'm not saying any of the coaching staff needs to go. But certainly there needs to be a fresh voice added. Somebody needs to come in and, uh, to shake things up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I find myself in, in agreement on that. Um, now, there is an upside to this because the match ends with a succession of wonderful moments. Massive, uh, massive uh, moments. Just wonderful. Um, we start with the goal. Um, then we have Kloppo pulling his hamstring as he, as he attacks the fourth official. Uh, we get, I got to enjoy Martin Tyler dying inside with the line, lucky, lucky Liverpool, plucky, plucky Tottenham Hotspur. He's just an absolute gimp. And to be honest, for me, the most enjoyable aspect of all of this was the absolute desolation on Richarlison's stupid little head uh, when he went from being the hero to being absolutely pointless. Um, The goal itself, Dave, We'll have to give uh, credit where it's due. It's a beautifully cushioned assist by Lucas Moura. 
And then a really well taken finish by Jota, who seizes on that mistake and puts it away with his left foot across the face of goal into the bottom corner with real aplomb, you have to say. It's a, it's a really well taken goal and didn't betray a lad who had been struggling so badly for goals recently, uh, until recently. So, I mean, whether or not Liverpool overall were lucky, whether or not overall Tottenham Hotspur were plucky, um, there's a, a plenty for us to savor in the end. And honestly, all that really matters at this stage of a shit season, a dumb season, is the win. Talk to me about the goal and the win and anything else in terms of highlights that um, that struck you. And then, Carl, I'll come to you for your closing thoughts and we'll finish with Dave's. Um, yeah, I mean, look, just just after he scores the goal, uh, takes his, his shirt off to celebrate what, what a great fella he is for the first league goal he scored all season and the, the first goal he scored in all competitions since September. Um, Richarlison, having been given back his shirt, starts doing that fucking pigeon dance thing, which I yeah. just love to give him an absolute slap. Uh, but I have a good Richarlison thought for my final thoughts, so I'll come back to him. Um, many, many years ago, Damien Camoli was our football director of football, director of football strategy, whatever his actual title was. And he and Kenny Dalglish had some significant uh, disagreements with return in terms of recruitment and what type of players we should recruit and where we should recruit them from. And one of the players Mr. Camoli wanted us to sign was one Lucas Mora, who was playing for Sao Paulo back then and was shining alongside Neymar as like these are the two best kids in South America. They're going to be stars. And obviously, it has never quite worked out for. Lucas Moura. He's had flashes of brilliance through his time at PSG and and with Spurs, notably the Ajax uh, semi-final in the Champions League that got them to the final against us. Mm. But I'm just glad that he finally got to assist a goal at Anfield. You know, 12 years after he could have made it his home, <laughs> he finally turns up and and it's a beautiful cushion touch. It's It's right up there with Neil Mellor's header for the beautiful cushion touch. And Jota, look, that's what he's good at. No time to think. Set your sights and fire. And that's what he does. That's what he's brilliant at. That's what he's been brilliant at since day one. Making that run, latching on to a ball, and just having a quick glance. That's where I'm putting it. I'm sticking it in the corner. And he gives Fraser Forrester no chance. It's a brilliant finish. A really, really brilliant finish. And you're delighted for him. You're delighted for the team. You're delighted for the fans. You feel this enormous sense of relief because Jesus wept. Had we thrown away a three goal lead to that crowd, it would have been, you know, it, it would have been absolutely shambolic to come out of that with a nil, with a, with a three three draw. We were lucky today. We were also the better team. Like at no point were Spurs as good as we were in that first 18 minutes or so. We were the better team today. We allowed them back into it. Their goals came from our mistakes. There's nothing brilliant that they did. We made bad fundamental mistakes. It's as simple as that. So, you know, to see us score and win the game, to see Martin Tyler, or to, to hear about Martin Tyler, rather, just sort of dying a little bit more. It's like Voldemort. You know, this, he's kind of left peace <laughs> himself in these horcruxes. 
And every so often, <laughs> Liverpool find and destroy a Horcrux. And obviously, you know, the year we won the league, that, that took a little bit of his soul away. Um, when we went to Old Trafford last year and battered United, it took a little bit more. We did it again at Anfield and a little bit more. And then the 7-0 at Anfield this season, you can just, you know, he's getting weaker and he's, he's less than a full being now at this point. And, and Jot has just snatched a little bit away. We're not far away. We're not far away from, you know, the demise of Martin Tyler all going well. Not, not, I don't mean that in, in terms of, uh, his health or anything, but I mean, in terms of his career, he might just give up the ghost at some point real soon and spare us all his, his utter fucking gibberish. But the, the real treat of that winner was the look on Richarlison's face. I mean, that is, that is, that's something you want to hang on the wall in your house or, or get it like a big decal on the wall right next to a picture of the 11 years at Everton or a decade at Everton for the manager who proves you don't need trophies to be a winner, but he is a winner. Uh, half Tavern special. It's just a massive thing. It really is. Uh, Taft's Tavern and Richarlison on your wall would, would be quite the thing. Um, Carl, let's, let's get your wrap up thoughts. Um, and, and just before you, you sign off, do let us know what's coming up for you during the week. Um, how do you want to? How do you want to take us home with your ideas there? Um, I think probably worth pointing out as well, and I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I thought I heard it, and I had a quick look on Twitter during this as well, and lots of other people seem to have associated it the same way. Uh, Martin Tyler, when Son, I can't remember who he pulled back, might have been Trent trying to run forward or something like that, um, basically suggested it was more of a, a martial arts uh, move, which is not great, not great, Mr. Tyler. Um, no. Probably something more to be heard about that one, to be perfectly honest. Uh, in terms of match oddities in a match of oddities, uh, every single outfield player of Liverpool other than the centre-backs created a chance on goal today, except Mo Salah, who's our most creative player. Uh, so that was fun to, to not see happen. Um, Jordan Henderson. Other than Ibu Kanate, nobody made more tackles than him today. I struggle with this one, I'll be honest. Um, huh. It must have happened, but I need to go back and watch that 30. His, his second minutes. involvement on the ball, he had a bad first touch, which led to two tackles. Yeah, right. And I'm assuming they're a big factor. He also had one where he rushed across and took the ball off Fabinho's toes, right. which I'm assuming counts as another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other... The other less than ideal situation we mentioned about the the lack of control uh jota finished the match with 83 percent pass completion rate the other three were 81 67 and 40 percent again not not really ideal for when you want people to come on and help you control the match um i think that's about it the game was ridiculous i dread to think where jota's finish would have ended up if this game took place three weeks ago thankfully it is at the end of these last couple of weeks and that's now uh, Jota and Diaz, who hasn't played for over 200 days for us, uh, both now joint fifth top goal scorers for the season. That's, that's another lovely indication of what this campaign has been, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, in terms of what you've got for the week coming up, uh, writing-wise, podcast-wise, what can we look forward to? Uh, I did a Diaz piece on the match today, his return, so there's that. And then I presume we'll do a couple of scalpers this week. Um, I can't even remember when our next meeting is now, to be 
that, to be honest. Is it midweek? Full, full, Fulham on Wednesday, then Brentford on Saturday evening. Right, well, those two, plus I think we've still got one left to come out that we've already recorded. Mm. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And Dave, just if you wouldn't mind falling into your thoughts, uh, I don't know if it's even worth commenting on, but it might just be worth commenting on because it's part of the sort of zeitgeist around Liverpool at the moment. And we just had the visit from uh, the Querfella and people were doing all sorts of calculations in the, in their head about him being over to do business. And we saw one of those really annoying droning planes going past, which had um, basically uh, a reference to the the Red Sox. It says LFC, Sox, Penguins, same problems, FSG out. So uh, bless their little hearts, they're um, um, paying for planes again. Um, if you want to mention that, feel free. If you don't, don't worry about it. What are your wrap-up thoughts and, and then your plugs as well? Uh, I, I actually do want to mention it. It was something I had noted down that I wanted to talk about. So, um, to be clear, the Pittsburgh Penguins are in a situation which was inherited by FSG where they are maxed out on the salary cap and they don't really have much room for manoeuvring because they've got a number of aging legends who are past their best and earning huge amounts of money that they can't really do much about. So yeah. they're in a bit of a holding pattern. So there's that. It's also worth remembering that FSG only bought the Pittsburgh Penguins um, quite recently. This is not a franchise that they've owned for a long time. This is something that's they're still kind of getting on board with. They haven't fully appointed all of their own people yet. So a little bit of time is needed. They've been in charge about 18 months there. And like I said, I mean, the two star names there are Gainey Malkin and Sidney Crosby. Uh, they're both well into their 30s now. Um, Malkin is 36. I think Sid the Kid's about the same age. He's 35, be 36 in August. They are past their best. They're earning huge money. It's problematic to have them on what is a smaller um, payroll in ice hockey, uh, but they can't trade them because they're two franchise legends who have contributed enormous amounts over the years, and they've been fundamental parts of winning three Stanley Cups. So those two can't be traded, can't be moved on. You just have to eat those contracts and see them out. The Penguins will be fine. The Red Sox, John Henry bought the Red Sox in 2001. And since then, the most successful team in Major League Baseball is the Boston Red Sox, who've won four World Series. Nobody else has won four World Series in that time. The mega-rich, reckless-spending, Yankees have won one. The mega-rich, reckless-spending LA Dodgers have won one. The mega-rich, reckless-spending New York Mets have not won any. These lads have run a great baseball franchise. Now, in recent years, <clears throat> they have let a couple of homegrown superstar talents in Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts leave in free agency because... They didn't want to give lads who are 28, 29, 10-year contracts at 30, 40 million a year where the back four or five years of those contracts are going to be albatrosses around the necks of that franchise. So it's understandable that they let them leave. 
they have made poor decisions in recent years. And yes, the last years have been fairly barren. They won four World Series with a franchise that hadn't won one in like 96 or 97 years beforehand. So, you know, that's just more entitled Red Sox fans being upset about something they really shouldn't be upset about. It's not all that long ago since they won a World Series. And many of these younger fans just don't remember what it was like for Red Sox fans in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, when they didn't win any. So there's that. The Red Sox will be fine. If you've got money to spend on a plane to fly a stupid banner across Anfield for however long, 30 seconds maybe it takes the banners in sight, I can't imagine that's hugely cheap. I'd imagine it's a grand, a couple of grand. I have no idea. Take that money and put it in an envelope and then go to a soup kitchen, a food bank, a homeless shelter, any local charity you can find. And give them that money because they will put it to use. Go and give it to a local school who might be able to buy books for children who can then learn and grow up to be smarter than you who's putting however much money into flying a <laughs> plane across the stadium, thinking that that's going to make a difference. I believe it is time for FSG to sell the club and leave. But I also understand that there is no mechanism that I or any other fan or all of us fans together can trigger to get them out of the club. United fans have been protesting the Glazers for over a decade. And the realistic outcome of this current sales process at United is that Jim Ratcliffe is going to buy the club. The Glazers are going to retain a significant share of the club no longer have control, but they'll still make their money off the club. That's the likely outcome. That is them selling by choice, not selling because they've been pressured. There is no mechanism that enables fans to get rid of owners. And I know people will say, oh, well, you know, we did it to Hicks and Gillette. No, we didn't. The banks got rid of Hicks and Gillette. And as long as John Henry keeps the banks happy and doesn't have a load of debt, they're not going to take the club off him. The club is not going anywhere. It will be sold when he decides to sell it. And we just have to eat that. And that's all there is to it. Um, other thoughts from today. You remember I introduced Prickwatch on this podcast not that long ago. Um, I think from now on, any and all people that we deem a prick, we should just say they have the Richarlison factor. Um, not only is this guy a great A asshole, he has a tattoo on his back of Brazilian legends, Ronaldo, Neymar, and himself. He has a tattoo of himself right in the middle of his back, <laughs> flanked by Ronaldo and Neymar. Now, number one, what is going on with your ego? You're not that guy. You might be some guy. You're not that guy. And number two, how weird is that when he's off with Brazil and he's getting changed, and Neymar glances across, and his face is staring back at him <laughs> off the back of a teammate. It's just very, very weird to carry on. Um, Ryan Mason today, uh, managing Spurs, uh, after 15 minutes, it looked like he might find himself getting sacked after the game. Uh, but I do just, it's just a, a small thing. Uh, he was a teammate of Andy Robertson once. They played together for Hull. In the 16-17 season, uh, in a whole squad that included Harry Maguire, 
uh, Curtis Davies, long-time Premier League defender. I think he's at, at Derby now. David Myler, Irish legend. Tom Huddleston. Um, Jared Bowen of West Ham. And uh, most notably, Lazar Markovic, who was there on loan. So funny how these things work. But yeah, Brian Mason, 31 years of age. And in his second interim spell at Spurs, you assume when they appoint a real manager in the summer, uh, he might go and look for a job in the lower leagues. And, and best of luck to him, because I hope he succeeds as a coach. Uh, despite the stupidity today, he had a, a horrendous injury end his career. Um, and he has 14 metal plates in his skull with 28 screws. So <clears throat> the fact that he's you know still functional and able to do such a job is 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 a, a big a big blessing. Uh, and last thing then that I want to mention today, uh, today was Graham Souness's last day with Sky. And um, I'm sure there are many people who have not enjoyed Graham Souness's particular brand of punditry, but I count myself as one of those who, who have enjoyed his punditry uh, in the same way I enjoy Roy Keane's punditry. Yes, it's outdated. Yes, it's old fashioned. But you know what? When you cut through the bullshit, which is what they do, their punditry is a lot more spot on than the fluff and bluster of Neville and Carragher, than the utter nonsense you'll often hear on BT from Rio Ferdinand, than the personality void that is Michael Owen or Steve McManaman. He's not for everybody, but I think when you look at it from the wide angle view, Graeme Souness is been kind of a breath of fresh air on Sky over the years because there's just no bullshit with him. He tells it as it is. And when it comes to the crunch, he is in a position to call out any player he wants and say whatever it is he wants about said player and their lack of effort, their lack of performance, because this man won three European Cups with Liverpool. He won five league titles with us, having won a second division title with Millwall, or with, with Middlesbrough rather. He also won four League Cups, a Coppa Italia, two Scottish Cups and three Scottish, sorry, two Scottish Leagues and three Scottish Cups as a player. He is one of, if not the greatest midfielders Britain has ever produced. And I think there's actually a real argument that he's the greatest footballer Britain has ever produced. He is one of the great captains of all time, one of the great leaders of all time, one of the great winners of all time. And I think when he talks about whoever, people should shut up and listen because he was a great, great player. He wasn't, you know, Gary Neville had a great career. Jamie Carragher had a great career. No one would ever confuse them with great players. Souness and Keane were great players. And if they've got something to say, people should listen. And do they get stuff wrong? Of course they do. Of course, if you're asked about every single thing going on, you will have some misses, but he's right about far more than he's wrong. And I know people like to hold the managerial stint at Liverpool against him and what happened with the son, and that's acceptable and that's fine and understandable. But he has repented, he has apologised. It's the biggest regret of his life and one that he's lived with all these years. And you know, I, I think I think Sky will miss him massively. Agree completely. I think kicking a fella like continuously when he has held his hands up is like just daft. Um, and I also would share your opinion of, of, uh, Sunes as a pundit and, uh, your admiration for him as a player. Uh, 
he's achieved a hell of a lot more than most of those lads who are swanning around uh, with their chests out talking absolute guff ever have. Um, just in terms of your contributions for the week, I assume there'll be your usual set of podcasts. Anything extra? Any writing or scribbling going on? Uh, yeah, there'll be there'll be the an article out on Wednesday. Um, not fully sure where I'm going to go with that, but there'll be an article Wednesday. There'll be daily read from Tuesday to Friday. Um, two footage from Tuesday to Friday. There'll be a couple of scouts with Carl. And uh, myself and yourself might try and find a bit of time for an owl, an owl bit of buzz. Um, but we'll see how the week breaks for us. Absolutely. Um, look, the Reds are winning games. There is a thing, whether you like it or not, that's on the table to achieve. And we're on track to do that. We'll be with you until the end of the season and looking at this, whatever this experiment is, and trying to keep tabs on it. You should be paying attention to what Dave Hendrick and what Carl Matchett are doing, whatever it happens to be. I'll be back during the week with Jan for Mulby on the Spot and all the usuals as well. Keep your ears peeled. Keep your eyes on the website and fieldindex.com. I will be back with you very, very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go... We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.